0: When I was in college, I was dating a girl that I was convinced I was going to marry. Uh, we went to the same high school, we went to the same to the same church, uh, so we got to know each other well. And then, right after I graduated high school, we started dating. And by this point in college, we had dated uh, cl- coming close to three years, which is a long time, you know. That's usually the time when you're thinking, you know, am I going to put a ring on it? That kind of thing. Um, But things just weren't right. I had actually had a couple of friends give me a good sit-down talk, you know, the kind of friends that love you enough to tell you the things you don't want to hear, and they basically said, we just really don't think she's the one you should spend the rest of your life with. And it wasn't that she was evil or mean or horrible or anything like that. It was simply that they knew me and um, the direction I wanted my life to go. And and they had gotten to know her and and saw the direction she was talking about her life going. And they were just realizing, you guys are on two different roads. And and it's just not going to work. And I just didn't know what to do. I was so conflicted. You know, On one hand, there's a part of me that knew they were right. On the other hand, it's like, but I loved her and I found such comfort in that relationship. And I I just didn't know what to do. And I I knew uh, the breaking up was going to be incredibly painful for both of us. Uh, It it was going to be something painful to some extent for families, because you know how that you get to know families and you become a part of the family and all that. It was just going to be hard for everyone. And so uh, I just didn't know what to do. And so I just went back and forth and back and forth. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? and on top of that, the idea that like I thought I was done with the looking for love stage of my life to say, I'm going to break up with this girl and, and have to start all over again. I mean, I was almost past my prime at that point. I, mean, I was 21. I mean, my days of you know being able to have anyone be willing to love me were almost over. Uh, at least that's how I felt, mainly because I was 21 and my hair had started to fall out. So to me, I felt like I had a ticking clock, like, you better hurry up and find a wife for your bald and ugly and a monster. And so I, uh, I just spent weeks going back and forth in anguish. What do I do? What do I do? And I was just finding myself being overcome with anxiety. So finally, um, I decided to, to go talk to someone. And I went and talked to the guy who oversaw our dorm. His name's Brian Mills. He's actually now uh, the senior minister at Hope Church in Springfield. And you know I could tell that Brian was busy. He had a lot going on in his life at that season. Uh, but he agreed to give me some time. And I'll tell you, I don't remember how much time he gave me. Uh, I remember vaguely sitting there and spilling my guts and letting him hear all the details of everything. Um, I don't remember how much advice he gave me, but I remember with crystal clarity one sentence that he said that changed everything for me. He looked at me and he said, Man, I think you already know what to do. You're just afraid to do it. And that was like a wind that blew through my life, and it cleared out all of the fog that I couldn't see through. And it enabled me to realize that, yeah, I did know the right choice. I was just incredibly afraid of going through with a breakup, of letting go of this relationship that I found comfort in, this relationship that tethered me um, to a life that was comfortable, a life that I was familiar with. Um. I was afraid of having to go back into the world of dating and all of that stuff. I was just, fear was keeping me still. And I, I didn't know that. I couldn't see that for myself. I was too young. I was too immature. And in that moment, Brian gave me a gift of something that I did not in any way, shape, or form possess. He gave me the gift of wisdom. He gave me wisdom. You see, I was at that point in my life where I probably thought I was wise, but I was not. And, you know, I, I, even even now as, a, as an adult, trying to define wisdom is tricky because if you're not careful, you can make wisdom just sound like a lot of other things. Like you can make wisdom um, sound like intelligence. Like, oh, yeah, he's pretty smart and he's a good problem solver. And, and yeah, there's elements of that that can be a part of wisdom. Um but it's, that's not all wisdom is, and then you can make wisdom sound like it's just knowledge. Oh, he's been to a lot of school, and he's read a lot of books, and he's you know studied a lot of people. Uh, and but yeah, there's elements of knowledge and, and things like that that are part of wisdom. But yet that doesn't fully capture it either. And and you can even make wisdom sound like it's nothing more than experience. And and yes, experience can play a part in wisdom. In fact, all of those things. Um, can contribute to wisdom and making people more wise under the right circumstances. But the element that I think is often missing when we think about uh, wisdom is God. I think true, real wisdom is something that points you in the direction of God. It is, it is information. It is a widening of a perspective. It is knowledge. It is whatever. It is something that pushes you nudges you enables you to live in a way that leads your life more closely to your creator in fact wisdom is the ability to move toward being fully who god intends you to be because as humans on this earth we know that we're broken we know that we've made mistakes we know that we're we're dragged down by sin And when Jesus died on the cross for those sins, he died so that we could put our old self behind us and live a new life for him. The problem is we start to try to live that new life and we kind of drag that old person along with us. And some of those old sins pop up in our new life and some of those old mistakes follow us into our new life. And, and so our goal every day of our new life is to try to put away the old and put on the new and try to live more and more like Jesus, to try to live more and more fully as the person God intends us to be. And and so wisdom is just us pursuing that end. It's whatever enables us to, to pursue that end. And so... Um, it's shaking off that, that sin and pursuing the things that may be difficult to pursue, but we know they're going to make us more godly in the end. And so today we're going to talk about wisdom, and we're going to talk about what is probably the best opportunity that you and I have to get more of it. Now last week we kicked off a series um, through the book of James uh, that, that was called Faith That Works. And to give you a little context in case you missed it, um, the book of James isn't a, really a book. It's actually a letter. We call them books of the Bible, the, the pieces of literature that make up the Bible that we bind together in one book. Um, but most of the New Testament is letters. And so this is a letter written by James to a group of, of Jewish Christians um, who, through various circumstances, had been scattered throughout the Roman Empire, meaning they weren't living in the culture where they Uh, had become comfortable or grown up living. They had been scattered uh, away from their friends, oftentimes their family. They'd been kind of left isolated in parts of the Roman Empire around in, in culture that they didn't really understand, that they didn't really fit in with. And they had beliefs in Christ that often put a target on their backs. And it was a commonplace thing at that point in history for Christians to be hunted down, to be arrested, to be beaten, and to be killed. And so these people are going through terrible, horrible things. And it's into that situation that James, who, by the way, we believe the James that wrote this, this letter is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And so it's into this situation, this, this poor, horrible time of persecution, that James is writing to help them learn how to live out their faith, even in seasons that are incredibly painful and incredibly difficult. And so James just kind of dives right in to acknowledge their pain in the second verse of this book. And this is what we covered last week. So let's read it again. James chapter 1, we'll start at verse 2. He says, "'Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing.'" So God, James exclaims uh, that the goal here is that we would be grown more and more into that new life, that, that, so that ultimately we would be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And, he, and then he introduces us to an idea that a lot of us as Christians really struggle uh, to be okay with. He introduces us to the idea that, for whatever reason... One of the vehicles that God has chosen to grow us, to purify us, to help us be more and more of who he's created us to be. One of those vehicles is trials and suffering. And that's a different perspective than most of us naturally want to have. We want to say, no, 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 pain and suffering is bad, right? I shouldn't have pain and suffering. God's not the one sending that my way. God's not allowing that to happen because that would make God horrible or mean or cruel or whatever. And, and you know, we, we say, but, you know, but, so that can't be right. Or um, it's trial and suffering, That that's only inconveniences, that's only bad. Sometimes we even, like, blame it saying, it's not on God, it's on the devil. The reason I'm suffering is because of the devil is sending that to me. And yet right here, James, the half-brother of Jesus, a guy who probably spent a fair amount of time listening to his brother speak on certain things, he's saying, no, trials are going to come. They're, they're not something to be r- ran from necessarily, avoided necessarily. You don't have to be in denial when you're in them and just you know close your eyes real hard and cross your fingers and hope it'll go away. No, these are actually things that can do something good for you. These horrible seasons can actually have something good come out of them. And for reasons we might not understand, trials are God's chosen vehicle a lot of the time to grow us and shape us into the men and women he created us to be. And so that's what we covered last week. And then James picks up uh, telling us that times of trial are actually the perfect time to ask for wisdom. So that's how we're going to get into what we're talking about today. Wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Um, Now we got to remember here, uh, I used to think that these were two different sections that, oh, he wrote a few verses on suffering and now he's going to talk about wisdom. But no, he's still talking about suffering. And he's just now moving into uh, talking also about wisdom and how wisdom can help us in those seasons. Namely, that wisdom is the way that we need to seek growth in that season uh, of pain and suffering. That the ultimate goal is for us to be transformed, again, into being perfect, complete human beings. To be people who are perfectly able to honor and obey God in all things. And so the problem, again, like we said earlier, is that we're not there yet. So we've got to, so since we're not there yet we've got to constantly be kind of, kind of looking for ways that are going to grow us up, make us more mature, help us to be fully completely who God wants us to be. And in this instance James says the thing that we need is wisdom. And and I'll be honest, I don't connect suffering and wisdom naturally in my head. I just don't those just don't really go together. I don't draw a natural line from oh I'm suffering I should try to be more wise right now. I should see what I can learn from this. That's not how my brain works. Maybe that's how yours works, but not mine. Uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that I had a season about five years ago where I was absolutely overcome by anxiety. I mean, I lived for months feeling absolutely paralyzed by fear that I couldn't explain and I couldn't control. It was just there. It was with me. And I'll tell you one thing I, I did during that season. I prayed and prayed and I prayed a lot. Um, I remember having panic attacks and sitting in my bathroom, and I'd I'd put I'd shut the door so my kids wouldn't have to see me like that. I'd put the lid or the, yeah the lid down on the toilet, and I'd sit there and I'd kind of hug myself, and I would just kind of pray. Okay, God, everything's upside down, uh, but you're stable. Everything's upside down, but uh, let me know you're stable. Let me know you're stable. And I prayed so many things during that season. Uh, I started getting up really early in the morning, because I was having trouble sleeping anyway, um, and I just walk around town really early before anybody was awake, and I I'd, I'd just pray out loud to God, asking him to, you know, do lots of things, and I'll tell you the kind of prayers I prayed most. I prayed, God help, God stop it, God bring a relief, God where are you, God do something, but one thing I don't ever remember praying for is wisdom. God, will you give me wisdom? I was so not even remotely looking for growth at that time. All I wanted was out because it was awful. It was painful. It was terrible. And I just wanted God get me out of here. And yet, you know what? I'm not the only one who's had seasons like that. Many of you have had seasons like that. We've gone through these moments where, are these things that were so horrible, we'd never want to go through them again. They're seasons that were so agonizing, we wouldn't wish them on our worst enemy. And yet somehow, in the midst of that, we would say that God did something to our faith. He grew it in ways that we're not sure he would have been able to do in other ways. He grew our faith... He gave us perspective. He opened our eyes. He, he filled us with compassion in, in, in ways that we're not sure that could have been accomplished through any other means. And I think, okay, if God can do that in my life, in a season of suffering, when growing wasn't even on my radar, what could he do if I actually approached painful seasons, approached these trials, and the first prayer I prayed was for wisdom? And, and that's what James says is the key, to ask for it, to simply ask for it. It's so simple, it almost sounds dumb, right? Like, it, I mean, how do you get wisdom? Well, you just got to ask for it. But yet, that's how we see wisdom showing up. It's not because we just stood by. It's not because we endured. Um, no, he says earlier, endurance does a lot. Endurance does a work in you, but wisdom comes by asking for it. Wisdom doesn't just show up automatically in your life. It's something that comes by God's work, God's grace in you. And so it comes when we ask for it. But yet, if you're like me, my first response to tragedy has never been, dear God, give me wisdom for this season that's going to be miserable and awful. That's not what I do. I scramble. I panic. God, what can I do? Uh, How can I get out of this? How can I hit the rewind button and maybe go around this altogether? But very rarely do I think to ask for wisdom, and I don't think I'm alone in that. But yet, when we ask for wisdom, we see that he will give it. Um, Now, and let me say that this wisdom is is a supernatural gift from God, but I think one of the the ways that God often delivers the supernatural gift of wisdom is through some very normal and natural means. I can't tell you how many times I've been uh, reading through a portion of scripture. That's usually how I've done it the last few years, is I'll take like, I'm just going to read through the book of Acts at my own pace, or I'm going to um, read through the New Testament at my own pace, You know, read through some of Paul's stuff at my own pace, read through some of the Old Testament at my own pace. I just pick a section and I kind of work my way through it, right? And so, I'll be working my way through this whatever section of Scripture, and then this something painful, this trial, this tough season, tough week, whatever will come, and it just so happens that when I go to read those pages that I were was going to read anyway, the wisdom that I needed in that moment, it was in those pages that they just lined the, the the wisdom on those pages of scripture that I was gonna read anyway just so happened to line up with the suffering that I was going through and the guidance that I needed. And, you know, I've seen that over and over again. Another example of that is is in um, sermons that I preach. I can't tell you how many times I've got done preaching a sermon and had people walk up to me and say, Were you preaching at me? And most of the time they're joking, you know, that were you talking to me? They're joking. Meaning that they had something going on in their life that made the sermon overly feel overly personal and overly relevant, right? Um, but there's been a couple times where I've had people kind of come up to me a little bit upset and almost accusing me, saying, "Did you just preach at me?" Like it was. I mean, it was almost as if they assumed that I had heard somehow about what was going on in their life, and I ditched the sermon I planned to write. Uh, and wrote one specifically for them and their situation. And it's like, no, that's not not what happened. I I plan my sermons months out in advance. I rarely change. And usually those moments, what it is, it's like if something hit you so squarely, so strongly, it was probably because the season, the pain, the struggle, whatever it is you're going through, has been so abrasive on your heart that it has made you incredibly receptive to God's wisdom. And in this case, it felt like you were getting smacked in the face by a wisdom two by four. And so I've seen so many times where in these very, just so happens, very natural means, I was, just, was, I was just reading the Bible that day, or I was just preaching a sermon that day, or you just came to church that day, and to have God's wisdom just confront you in a, in a way that was new and powerful, and it at, gave you the wisdom that you just needed. And so God is so incredibly generous in how he gives wisdom. Um, but just because this is a supernatural promise to give supernatural wisdom Don't miss it because that wisdom often comes in ways that look very, very normal. And James goes on to say that that when God does give wisdom, he's going to give it generously. It says he'll give it without reproach or without finding fault, meaning that when we pray for wisdom, God's not going to look at you and go, "Um, after the month you just lived, after all the horrible things you did, you don't get no wisdom, or, "Um, okay, I've been trying to give you wisdom for months now, I, had, I gave you hundreds of opportunities to listen to me, and you, know, you d- and you didn't, so now you don't get any. Too bad, okay? It's not that kind of a situation, but that God sees you coming to him looking for wisdom, and he has such great compassion because he's, he's excited that you are looking for progress, forward motion, that you're looking to be more of the person that he wants you to be, that he knows you can be. He's excited that you're you're trying to leave behind some of that old life and take on more of the new, and and so God is eager for you. You know the way I think of it, um, about how God looks at us in those moments, is you know when when our kids were learning to walk, um, you know they fell down way way more often than they took steps, and sometimes it was just that they they didn't know what they were doing. You know they they. Uh, They, you know, let go of the couch and be like, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure how to do anything else here. So they just sit back down, fall on the rear end and and go back to crawling because that's what they know. Uh, Sometimes they get a little scared. Uh, They pull up on the couch and then they let go and they think, okay, something's supposed to happen. I'm supposed to, with my legs, something's supposed to happen, but no, not yet. And they fall and they just fall backwards because they just give up out of fear. And so that fear got in the way. And then there's those times when they finally took steps. And I'll tell you what, I counted each and every one of those first steps. I never once counted how many times they fell. You know, I never went, once went like, well, that was five steps, but you've already fallen 600 times. So, you know, take 600 steps and then maybe I'll be impressed. You know, I'm not there counting the failures. It's not like I'm looking around yelling at him going, Abby, this kid's a joke. He must get his lack of coordination from your side of the family. You know, that's not what you do, right, as a parent. No, you, you don't count the, the, the failures. You don't, you don't sit there and, and keep tr- a, a long-running tally of all the times they didn't take a step. No, you just celebrate the steps. You cheer the progress. And I think in this instance, the, way it's, the reason it says God will give generously wisdom without finding reproach, without finding fault in us, is because God, like a father, sees us asking for wisdom as, as progress, as a step forward. And I think he's ready to cheer that. Because this prayer shows our desire to move away from immaturity and toward something greater. Now, let's finish up with just a few more verses. We'll start in verse 6. or continue on in verse 6. It says, But let him, the person who's asking for wisdom, who's going through a trial, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Now, that's pretty strong and can sound a little scary. Um, And that's one of the reasons why I'm not convinced that doubting is the best translation here. I'm not sure it's talking about praying for wisdom and then, oh, I don't know if God's actually going to give me wisdom. I don't think that's it. You know, the doubting, like, I don't know if I'm good enough for God to give wisdom. And the reason I don't, I, I feel like that can't, the doubting can't quite be right is because he just went, James just went out of the way to talk about how over the top, God was with his generosity, how freely he gives out wisdom. And then here to say, like, except not, you know, that doesn't seem to make sense to me. Um, the, and, and there's other clues here. Words like double-minded uh, literally means a two-souled person, somebody who's conflicted, split, they haven't chosen one path. They're kind of like living two lives, walking, trying to walk two roads. It's kind of like um, the picture is uh, somebody who's unstable. Think like a, a person who's drunk and they're supposed to be walking this line but they're like wavering back and forth across the line. Like not only can they not walk the line, but they can't even stay on one side of the line. They're going back and forth. And so I think a better translation is, is a person who's wavering, a person who's not fully committed to Christ. This is a person who can't decide if they want to fully submit and go all in with Jesus or if they just want to go back to living how they lived. And this is a pretty common problem. For a lot of people who would call themselves Christians, they, they think they're in, they maybe even come to church every once in a while, but a lot of their life, they're just doing their own thing. They're not fully all in submitted to Christ. They're not on the road to, to grow to the point where they are fully human. They're not trying to be a, f- a better representation of Christ every day. They're not walking every day to leave the old behind and to take the new on. They're kind of doing this two you know trying to have a foot in both worlds of this i think that's the idea that's being conveyed here and so he's saying that if if you're not fully committed to christ you're probably not going to have this prayer for wisdom answered because honestly you don't want where the you don't want where the wisdom leads the wisdom is all about you being made mature complete not lacking anything and you don't you're not ready to give up that old life yet so you're not going to get wisdom and so unless your heart is fully surrendered to God, this prayer isn't likely to be one to be answered. But when we are fully sold out to Christ, when we are committed, and He does fully have our allegiance and our lives, we can pray with utter, absolute confidence, and He will deliver. Now, I fully understand how, how easy it is to just want out of painful situations, you know That's the natural thing. That's what I've always done. God, get me out of here. And when I, God get, doesn't get me out of there, I start to say, well, then God, where are you? Because I'm assuming God's job is to get me out of the pain. And that's really easy to do. Painful seasons. Some days it's, it's just all you can do to get up and go through a day, to, to do normal, everyday life. I remember being terrified, and it was everything it took to get out of bed brush my teeth and take a shower and to put on clothes because all I wanted to do was hide under the covers as my fear rattled around my brain for another day and kept me scared. But God doesn't want us to just endure these moments. He doesn't want us to just endure these seasons. He doesn't want any of these seasons to to leave us and have He doesn't want us to get through any of these seasons and, and have it be just 100% a bad thing that we look back on going, nothing good came from that, totally a wasted season. No, God wants to redeem every opportunity in our life. He wants to, he wants to redeem every situation possible to do something good for us, to be a blessing for us. And, and in painful seasons, he can do that by using that pain to shape us into the fullest most mature, most whole, most holy version of ourselves possible. And so when we get into these seasons, what we tend to ask is, God, how do I get through this? God, how do I get through this? Just get me out of this. How do I get through this? But there's a a question that can change all of that, a question that changes everything, and it's a much better question, and it's this question. God, how do I grow through this? Not, God, how do I get out of this? But, God, how do I grow through this? And that opens us up, many of us, probably in ways that we've never been opened up to before, because usually we're just trying to get out, trying to get through, trying to survive. And, you know, I <laughs> I was thinking about this week and, and how um, this year has been, and The the memes of 2020 and the jokes of it, you know, we make a lot of those jokes. But in reality, it's a hard year. I mean, an unbelievably hard year for a lot of people. And it is going to be really easy to, to just look at this year and to think, what a wasted year. What a year that had nothing good, nothing redeemable, nothing beneficial, nothing helpful to offer. Just a nasty, awful year. I can't. Maybe 2021 twenty twenty one's got something better for me. But this year, twenty twenty, <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing good in there. But what if we ask the right question? What if this question could transform this year, this year that has been nothing but an interruption to life as we know it? This year that is just one outrageous problem after outra- after another outrageous problem. This year that has brought painful losses and missed opportunities. What if this one change to how we pray in seasons of struggle could turn a worthless year into a powerful time of growth? A powerful season where maturity takes place. A powerful year that you look back on and go, what a terrible time of life. But God led me through, he was amazingly good to me, and he grew me and made me more, stronger than I ever was before. And so the prayer can't be, Lord, get me over this. Lord, get me through this. The prayer can't be, Lord, just can we just go back, can we have to rewind and go back to before this all started? I mean, maybe the prayer you want to pray is God just send a flood. I think we've shown we we blew our chance, just wipe us out and start over. 2020 has been the proof that we just need a whole new flood. Maybe that's what the prayer you think should be prayed, but that's not even the prayer. The only prayer that can change this, maybe not the only prayer, but one prayer that can definitely change this is, is by you and I humbling ourselves, even in a season of pain, trying to pull ourselves up enough, to think beyond the pain just enough to say, God, how do I grow through this? Please, in this terrible, miserable, no-good season, give me wisdom so that I can see what's next, so that I can move forward in a way that is going to help me to be better a better representation of Jesus, a more full, more complete version of who you created me to be